Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. For the summer, we'll only have two services, one at 9.30 and one at 11.30 a.m. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Robert Kelly, one of the pastors here at the church, if we haven't yet met. It is great to be back. Um, as uh, Trevor had mentioned, uh, I had been away for a couple of weeks. I was taking some classes down in uh, North Carolina. I missed you guys uh, when I'm away. I always do. And um, I like to visit other churches, but uh, it doesn't take long for me to be like, yeah, I sort of just want to go back home and, uh, be, with, uh, uh, and be with Beacon. And uh, you know, during my classes, it's, uh, it's a cohort of uh, 20 or so pastors from all over the world, and we've come together for these classes. And uh, what's going on in it is really fascinating because we're actually trying to examine the state of the church in America, trying to figure out where she's at and what's going on in different places and what things are working and what things are not working so well. And so a lot of the conversations are about the churches that are struggling all across the country. Lots of frustrations that people talk about. Lots of difficult situations and, and really tough board members or staff problems. And, you know, there's a bunch of uh, associate pastors there, and they were just complaining about their senior pastors um, at such a high level that at some point I'm like, wait, hold on a second, guys. Does, do all of the associate pastors have problems with their, their lead pastors? <laughs> like all of them? And they're like, oh, yeah, of course. I was like, wait a second. So I te started texting Chris and Trevor. I'm like, hey, am I like holding you back from all of your dreams and things that God is trying to do? They're like, I'm just in there like, they never answered me back. Um, but uh, but uh, no, that's not true. They did. And uh, it's uh, good, some good conversations for us to have in it as well. I heard lots of stories about difficult people, town officials who don't want churches, you know, in their neighborhood or denominations that are filled with all of this theological strife or conflicts over property, neighbors who don't want cars on their streets clogging up, you know, their, their uh, parking spots or cynics who think that, uh, you know, the Christian faith is really just a crutch for, for weak people or others who will simply accuse all of the followers of Christ of being lemmings or bigots or worse. I mean, apparently, people can be quite frustrating. Who knew, right? I mean, who would guess that, that people could actually be frustrating? And I'm thinking to myself, well, of course, you guys know that because you live in New York, right? So, like, above all people, you should absolutely understand that there are plenty of frustrating people around. So I go down south, right? I'm in North Carolina. And not a week into the two weeks, I'm, I'm pulled aside by one of the other pastors in the cohort to rebuke me for being mean. So, you know, this is fairly typical when I travel outside of the area. And so, you know, when I was growing up, you know, I, I was in California for a while and there were a lot of complaints about how, what, you know, Robert, you're kind of a jerk, you got to stop. And then I went to the Midwest and the, the complaints skyrocketed. I came to New York and the complaints dropped off incredibly and I hadn't changed. 
And so I'm like, you know, there's just a different thing. So I'm down there, and apparently, you know, and I heard the thing that I'd heard so many times in, in my life already, which it's, it's, Robert, it's not what you said, it's how you said. I'm like, oh, brother, this again? I thought I was done with this. I'm going back to New York where I don't hear this. But so, of course, I was really nice. I told him at the end, I'm like, oh, you're right. Thank you so much. <coughs> um, but uh, anyway, it was, uh, you know, this is what it is. It's hard. It's hard to love people the way Jesus called us to. It's hard. <coughs> and I think it's hard when they're difficult. I think it's hard when they're frustrating. I think it's hard when they are damaged by sin. But what about when it's us who's damaged by sin? What about that? Can't we admit that sometimes we don't want to love people the way we ought to as Christians because we are damaged by sin? Because we're selfish or because we're too tired. Thank you. Or because we're too busy. Or because we're what? Because we're too fill in the blank. And somewhere in that blank, you will find that brokenness and the damage by sin that's causing us to not love people. This is why we have to constantly be challenged and reminded and cajoled toward loving others. St. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, he's called the disciple whom Jesus loved, and his gospel is often called the gospel of love. He helps us to shore up our resolve to, to love people by giving us a theological foundation. And that's what we're going to be looking at here this morning in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at a theological foundation for loving people. As you're opening up to 1 John 4, 7, I want to review a little bit of the series. And please do open up. The Bibles are in the seats around you or you can use a, a, you know, an app or whatever. But uh, keep it open because we're going to be going phrase by phrase through a couple of verses here. And it will be helpful to have it open in front of you. So by way of review, this series is committed to helping us understand better who we are as a church, as a, as a spiritual family, the mission, the vision, the values that make Beacon Church Beacon. And we're going to spend all summer unpacking some of these core essential identity questions. We started by Bob Goff encouraging us to go out there and do something, and then the next week we covered a topic where we realized why we had to go do stuff, and it's because Jesus is actually coming back, and he's going to return with his reward and with his punishment. And then we talked about taking the love of Jesus to others and letting that love of Jesus cover the sins of many. Then Trevor brought us into gospel-centered discipleship, which is a way of understanding the role of the gospel in all of life. How does it impact everything we do? Not just the decision you make to follow Christ as the good news of the gospel, but how does the gospel impact how you continue to grow in faith, your discipleship? Last week, Chris covered one of our core values called the warrior's soul, where we talked about the need for followers of Christ to pursue the mission of God with passion and with excellence, one of the key values that we hold at Beacon. And today we get to talk about one of the most important teachings of the Bible, 
simply phrased as love one another. Love one another. 1 John 4, 7, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now this command is unique in John. Not that the, the command to love someone is unique. Jesus told us to go and love. They gave us the command. It's an imperative. He did it in Matthew. He did it in Luke. He said, go love. Paul in Ephesians also said it. Go love. Peter in his epistle. Go love one another. They, 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 it's a command and it is right for them to tell us, go and do the thing that God has told us to go and do. But John is unique. He uses it different. He uses it in the first person plural, and no one else does this. There are 11 times in the scriptures where the, the word for love here is agape, where that word is used in the first person plural, and all 11 are found in John. It's, a, it's one of his unique contributions to this conversation about loving one another. And so you can think of it like this. So Dan is here, and if I were giving you the command in the other way, it's as if I said, here, go ahead, stand up, Dan, and I say to you, Dan, go. And, and love, and you would turn around, and you would just march out there, and you would go and start to do it. That would be the command to love one another, and it's legit. It's a, it's the, it's a right thing to do, so you know, you can sit. Or it would be like, then this is how it kind of contrasts with what, with what just happened is, John is saying, hey, come here. Come here. Hey, you can stand up. Yeah. Hey, come here, too. I'm Robert. I don't think I know Cliff. you. Cliff. Hey, Cliff. So, so come here. Stand up. All right. Hey, come on up. Stand up. So this is like what John's doing. John's like saying, all right, listen, we together, you got to bring it in because we together, we are going to go love others. Let us together go do it. And you see, it's a different thing, right? It's not as if I'm just telling you guys to go out. I'm saying we together as a community are going to go and accomplish this thing because love is practiced and done in community together where it ought to be. All right, you guys can go ahead and sit. And so this is the idea that John is saying here, which is a little bit different, right? It's a slightly different bent. He's not just simply giving the command. He's saying, we are going to go love. Let us love one another and let us do it together because love takes place among people because it's a community loving others. In that way, it's even a community effort to love others. Now John turns around and he grounds this command in theology. He actually is answering the question, why? Why would we do that? And his short answer is that love is from God. Look at verse uh, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So the idea here is that we will pursue and we will seek, we will nurture, we will guard love. Why? Because it comes from God. It's from him. Now when we say that, we have to recognize that lots of things come from God, right? The Bible says that Jesus came from God, that Jesus' teachings come from God, that our understanding of the scriptures come from God, that the spirit comes from God, that our redemption comes from God, how we're regenerated. It all comes from God. And in another place, it says all things come from God. And so it, it could at first just feel like this is just one of the many things that comes from God and just put it in a big, long list of things. But it's a little different than that. It's more than that. 
Love is more than something that simply God sends out or gives to us. Love is actually a part of who he is in an essential way. Look at verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, he's also light. He's also truth. He's also spirit. But there's only a handful of times where the scriptures make a, a, a comparison like this or make a description that says God is something. And love is one of those key things. And it's, so it's more than simply that he's sending it because there are some attributes that seem more descriptive of the essential ontological nature of God. It's his, it's his being. Love is actually a part of his existence. So it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more. An example of this really comes in the Trinity. So consider the Trinity for, for just a moment. This is a unique Christian contribution to a theology of God. So in other faiths, you'd have either a, a faith that says there is one singular God, not a triune God. They go to great efforts to distinguish it from that, uh, from the Christian view. And there are other religions that would say, no, no, there are lots of gods. Now, if you have lots of gods, you have competing gods. You have competing values. And this God could actually be more troubled by the fact that they're not getting the attention they need. And this God, and this is why you can actually have conflicts between these deities. And you don't know which one you're supposed to appease for what sort of a thing. Because there's all of these. Now, these, this community of gods are often in conflict with each other. They're not even heading in the same direction. Because they're individuals. They look like a community at the outset, but they're not. This is where all of Greek and Roman mythologies come from, right? All the conflicts between the gods. Then you go over here and you go, no, no, in, there's not a whole lot of gods. There's one God, and he's all-powerful, and he exists independent of the rest of the creation. Christians hold that true, but, but when he's the singular God, generally what ends up happening is the relationship you have with this singular God is one of fear. He is the God who can do what he wants, when he wants, without anyone being able to restrain him because he's all-powerful. That's his major attribute, that he's all-powerful. It's his job description. You should fear him. You should be worried about what he's going to do. Don't cross him, or he'll probably swat you down. And the Christian conception of God actually is a unique amalgam here because it's saying, no, no, no. There is one God, and he is all-powerful, but he has eternally existed in the Father, Son, and Spirit. He's eternally existed in community. He said, let us go and do. You see, there's, there is a plurality in the Godhead, and that means that love has forever existed in the very nature of God. If God has forever existed, and if he has forever existed in a triune way, then there has always been love at the center of the Creator. So the Spirit has always loved the Father and loved the Son, and the Father has always loved the Spirit and always loved the Son, and the Son has always loved the, the Spirit and has loved the Father. And so together, there is this community of adoration, this dance of love that has existed for all of eternity. You see, why is it that when God creates, he creates things in love? Because he's creating in his image. He's creating it out of his essential nature, his very being. This is a unique contribution. 
And it helps explain even things like the family. You know, God could have done any way he wanted to create a family. He didn't have to create a family at all. He could have had us all grow up from like mold spores in the forest floor, right? He didn't have to make it so that two people could come together, fall in love, and then physically create another object of their love. And think about that little triune family unit, husband, wife, and, and, and child, and you see different types of love that are shown in the family unit. All of those kinds of love together represent the sort of passionate and dedicated and self-sacrificial and unconditional love that's found in the Godhead already. The family unit was created the way it was created because it reflects the very nature of God. See, that's, that's why we, we understand the world in the way we do. And that's why love takes such a precedent in the world because it's actually linked to his nature. God is love. That's also why the negative corollary exists. Look in verse 8 again. He says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. That's the negative side of it. That means lovelessness equals godlessness. This is troubling to us. You see that phrase there. He says, whoever does not. John uses this phrase many times. Only Jesus uses it more often than John. Because Jesus and John both like to draw a hard line down the middle. Whoever does and whoever does not. He likes to tie together our faith claim with our behavior. A lot of us aren't comfortable with this idea. But you can't avoid it. The scriptures make it very clear. Look in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. Just flip over there real quick. 1 John 3, verse 10. He says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Look at, flip over to 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. You see, whoever does and whoever doesn't, whoever believes will love. For John, he can't understand it in any other way. We love to. We love to separate these out and say, no, no, you can have faith and not actually live your life as, a, as someone who loves other people. You could do that. Because you're saved by faith through grace and that not of yourself. So you can't, you don't have to worry so much. This is, if you fail to love, it's just an ethical failure. That's all. And John, he doesn't have this category. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. If you are loveless, you are godless. Because if you actually are in God, you will be developing his nature in you. His essence will be transferred to you. And if you want to claim to have faith in God, then you will in fact love he doesn't understand how it could be any other way. Of course you'll, you would love. You're connected to the Father. His power, his love is transforming you because God is love. And because love is in the very nature of God, when God set out to create, he ended up creating lovers of God and people. That was his end game. To create people in his image who can love him and love each other in the way that he has forever existed in this dance of love. Look at verse 9. 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. To live isn't just merely not to die. To live is to come into the fullness of who we were meant to be. Created to love. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, our love doesn't start in us. It doesn't. It starts in God's nature, in who he is, and then it flows into us through an act of God. And this is key, because love isn't simply this emotional state of being. It is an action, because love always takes action. God took action by sending Christ to die for our sins. That's what he said. He loved us and sent his son. You can't have love without action. And I think sometimes we become a little desensitized to this incredible truth that Christ came to die for our sins. We just sort of throw it out there sometimes. I'm often like talking to people and I'm explaining the faith and asking them, trying to assess where they're at. And, and every once in a while, you know, I'll, I'll push them on, on kind of their, you know, where they're at in their faith. And they'll say, oh, no, you know, I think I'm a good person. I'll say, yeah, but the Bible doesn't say that you can be a good person and go to heaven. The Bible says that you have to actually. And they're like, well, you know, it, it's, I understand that. And they're like, and I say, yeah, but then how do you get forgiveness of sins? Like, oh, well, well Jesus, that, you know, he, the, the whole cross thing, he like died for me. And it comes like way into the conversation. And I'm like, well, I know it feels like an afterthought. <laughs> like, you know, oh, yeah, and Jesus died for me. But should we just stop and think about that for a second? Jesus died for you. You know, I mean, imagine for a moment that your company is going through downsizing. And you really, really need your job. But you are the last person hired. And they're going to downsize and they're going to start cutting off the jobs from the people who came, you know, with the least amount of tenure. And you hear this and you know it's about to happen. And so your boss comes in and goes, hey, you know, we've got some cutbacks that are happening. And you're like, oh, man, here it comes. And all of a sudden, one of the senior employees walks forward and says, no, 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 don't, don't fire them. Fire me instead. Fire me instead. That's, that's pretty cool. That's someone who's saying, let me take the suffering. Let me take the pain so that you don't have to. And what if you had been mean to that person for the last five years? It makes it even worse, right? Because you're like, oh my goodness, what's going on? How could they possibly do this? You know, there's, there's a medical treatment that you need and they need. And they've already been cleared for it. But there's only one treatment available. And the person who has it says, no, 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 no. You take it. You take it. See, we talk about the, the idea that, that Jesus died for our sins, but we're, we, we sometimes fail to think through the gravity of that. We don't deserve any of it. It's not like Jesus came on the scene and he's like, man, that Robert, he's really crushing it. He's just, so, I'm really glad to have him on the team, man. He is so good, I'm willing to die for him because he's such a, he's so awesome. He comes on the scene and he's like, that dude is screwed up. He is so messed up and if anyone needs help, it is him. That, kid, that dude needs a savior. And even though he has continually rebelled against me and he shakes his fist at me and he refuses to yield his life to me in the way that I want him to, I'm going to die for him. I'm going to give my life for his so that he doesn't have to die. He doesn't have to suffer. He do, I will experience the pain so he doesn't have to. 
The Bible tells us that Christ died for our sins while we were yet sinners. That's what he does. This is a huge sacrificial moment. We're talking about a kind of an action that just blows our categories. And when we experience this sort of atonement, this propitiation as the scriptures explain it, it actually now impacts our ability to love. Imagine now that you've, you've surrendered your life to Christ and the, the spirit of, of Christ is now in us. This is a fantastic experience because now he is starting to, to jostle us free from the restrictions and the limitations of our sinful nature, which means as he strips back these sinful, these sinful layers, we're actually more able to love. He's, you know, he, he's given us this incredible example. You know how it is you're watching an inspiring movie and all of a sudden at the end of the movie you like, feel like you want to go do something great? You know, you ever watch kids, they watch like a superhero movie, they come out and they start fighting? You know, they're going to go, like, take on the world because this is what happens, right? We see this great example, and, and we want to start living it. That's what Jesus did for us. He gave us this incredible example of self-sacrifice, and he says, now go and do likewise out in the world. The power of God is experienced in us, the experience of God's love. You know what it's like now that you've experienced it? He's saying if you've experienced it, if you've been set free, if you've seen the example and if you've experienced the love of God yourself, then, then that experience can be enough that you can actually give love to others. So if we're going to love like God loves, what does it mean for us? It means that we're going to act in wildly sacrificial and even reckless ways. That we are actually going to take action like God did. We're going to take action. Look at verse 11 in 1 John 4, verse 11. He says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. If God loves us like this, then we ought to love others like this. Because we now have God's love flowing through us and pulsing in us and alive and powerful and it's, it's coursing through our bodies and it's supposed to burst forth into this world. You know, John tells us in a sense that God is invisible, right? He can't be seen. He can't really be felt in the, in the way that we like to. But people can, in fact, see him and feel him through you. They can understand a little bit more about how it is that God loves them through you. Because you take his love, and, it, and it, because it exists in him, and it flows through him, out of him, through you, to the world. They get to experience God's love in that way. And I just want to say, you know, what I'm, I'm not talking about here being nice. All right? We're not talking about that. I mean, you should be nice. That's a nice thing. But let's, but let's, not, let's not, you know, I'm not here talking about how to win friends and influence people and give you some, like, management technique that will make people like you more and get you raises. We're not, you know, we're not talking about this sort of, like, you know, be friendly, you know, sort of a thing. You know, I'm not trying to help you to lean into your, you know, your natural affections, you know, hey, today is Sunday. You should be nicer to your mother-in-law. It's that's not. You should be. I'm. I'm not. You know. I'm not talking about. Someone um, invited a friend 
to uh, the church, and they uh, decided they didn't really want to uh, come. And they actually told them why. And one of the reasons is they'd heard a story about somebody who had been driving down the road while our services were letting out. And uh, ends up that uh, they drove a little too close to someone who was leaving the church uh, as they were illegally crossing Roslyn Road. And, uh, and apparently they got so close that this person decided to yell at them. And they yelled at them and they dropped the F-bomb. And I know what you're thinking. I do not park over there. I park over here. And so it was most certainly not me. And I know Chris, he does park over there sometimes, but he also does not use the F-bomb, just like me. So it was definitely not us. And Trevor, I mean, I don't want to go through the whole staff. Um, but, but, you know, I, listen, I don't know if it was actually one of our people. I'd like to think it was a guest who was a pagan. Uh, but... But, you know, it might very well have been one of us because, you know, these things do happen. And, and it would be a great start if all Christians were actually nice and kind and gracious. That, that would be a great place to start. But that's not what we're really talking about here. We're talking about an action that is deeply costly because it's God's love working through us. It is the kind of love that deconstructs our essentially selfish nature and it replaces it with the nature of God. Selfless, powerful, transformative. That's what we're talking about. Do you experience this kind of love? Do you have a group of people in your life where you could experience this kind of love? We talk about a core value here is a generous heart, having generous hearts. And we describe it like this. Loving God and people is vital at Beacon and marks all that we do. God intends his people to be involved in authentic, loving relationships with one another in a local body called the church, practicing reckless generosity and sacrificial relationships with other Christ followers and people far from God gets us excited. The mantra we attach to it is simply love everyone always. Love everyone always. Do you have that? You can imagine what it would be like to, to find a Christian community, a group of people who you could pour yourself into, who you could love in this sort of unconditional and recklessly sacrificial way. Do you have that group of people? Because if you don't, you're missing out on one of the greatest gifts that God has given to his church genuine and authentic and sacrificial Christian community. That's how we were. It's a let us do this thing together. Do you have a group of people who will build into you in that way and that you can build into in that way? Because if you don't, what is holding you back? This, is one of the, this, could be, this should be one of the highest priorities we have is to say, I want to put together, a, I'm going to find a group of people. I'm going to build a group of people. I'm going to be the, the glue that pulls these disparate pieces together so that we can actually become a community. It's part of your role as priests in God's kingdom to find and be a part and to create these transformative Christian communities. And I promise you, if you invest yourself in this kind of a community, it will reap dividends for the whole of your life. But to do it is going to take sacrifice. 
You're going to have to love deeper and more sacrificially. You're going to give more and serve more, love more. You're going to enter into each other's pain. You're like, I don't want to enter into another person's pain. You mean like Jesus did for you. That's the motivating factor here. Yes, like Jesus did for you. Enter into their pain and they can enter into your pain and we can experience the love of God through them. But to do this, you know that you're going to have to reorder your lives. This takes time and this takes money because you can't love in a hurry. It isn't possible. Try it with your kids. Try it with your spouse to love in a hurry. You can't do it. You're never going to build a relationship. You got that special someone. It never happens by trying it in a hurry, and it's not going to happen for deep, genuine Christian community. You need to reorder your lives in sacrificial ways to even begin to experience it. I would say commit yourself to it. Let yourself be drawn into this experience and let it mark who you are in Christ. And you'll be able to experience more and more of God's love and you'll be fortified in a way you've never known possible to love others in increasingly sacrificial and reckless ways. I'm going to ask the band to come up. They're going to lead us in a couple of songs as we let some of these truths settle into our hearts. And as they do, I'm just going to ask that you guys would just bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, what we're asking you to do here is nothing short of a transformative experience with you. Help us, Lord, to really fully grasp who you are and what your love means for us, Lord. Help us to understand how the work of Christ on the cross and his sacrifice for us impacts how we live every day. Help us, Lord, to take these great truths of your word and not keep them in the theoretical, but to live them out each and every day. Lord, it is so difficult for us to do. We're so wrapped up in our own self-centeredness, our own selfishness, Lord. It's hard. But through the power of your spirit working in us and through the atonement of Christ, we know that we can be new creatures Help us, Lord, to even now begin to see and to sense the value and the, the gift that it is to us. Lord, what we want is to experience your kind of love every day. Because we want to be able to give this kind of love to others. Make it more and more true of us, we pray. Amen. Amen.